The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, Abba, Father, with careful term of endearment, not to take you too lightly, but not to regard you as far from us and distant and austere, but with careful familiarity, we call you Dad. And with confidence now, draw near into your throne room and dare to ask. We dare to ask because you've invited us in and have given us privilege and right to enter in. We enter by Christ's blood and say to you, Lord, help. Give us grace and mercy now to help us in our time of need. The various needs that we face as people, we have already prayed for many of them. Lord, thank you for hearing and for answering in, in ways that are right and good and build your people and further your kingdom. And we ask you now for help, for grace and mercy to help us as we have need as people under this text. Parents, many of us, all of us knowing people who are parents and able to and responsible to as a body to influence them well and to participate in the church's corporate life of parenting. But Lord, also we sit under this text as people who, to whom it speaks directly for us. Particularly as we consider wisdom this morning, Lord, we have many needs ourselves to grow in wisdom. And we ask you for mercy, mercy to forgive us in our shortcomings, casting all of our sin on Christ, and grace to grow us, to make us more like him, wise stewards of what you've given us, instruments in your hands in this world, in this life. We need grace for that, Lord, so give it, please, this morning. And would you enable us, Lord, I, I was particularly struck as we sang that song, particularly struck by the, the part about setting aside fear. Lord, would you enable us to walk in confidence, not only into your presence, but with you into your world. Enable us to walk with you in confidence, not afraid. You have set aside our sin, and so we can set aside fear. You've you have saved us and made us your own and promised to build your kingdom. It will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So thank you, Lord, as we are people who ask and who have need, we also have great confidence that the needs will be filled up out of your great wealth. You will supply everything that we need according to your riches in Christ. So thank you. Confidently, then, we ask you, teach us from this passage. Build us, your people. Build your church. Build your kingdom. Honor your name. And Lord, those of us who are parents and have kids still at home, we particularly ask that you would build up our kids, that you would save them and sanctify them. And towards that end, Lord, give them ears to hear and give us ears to hear that we would do well in the task that you've called us to. So we pray, Father, speak by your Spirit. Honor Christ in our hearts and in our lives. Build your people. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
Today is the fourth week in our five-part series on the topic of parenting. Our usual habit, if, if you are new here, our usual habit is to preach through whole books of the Bible, large sections. We recently finished the book of Philippians, and we'll soon be turning to the Gospel of Luke. But in between, often we pause and change pace a little bit and do something a little bit shorter, perhaps something topical, like the topic of parenting. And obviously, as I prayed, this does apply particularly to parents, particularly those with kids still at home, and it applies to all of us, because we have a corporate responsibility as a church to raise children, and especially this information, it speaks to us ourselves, about us ourselves. We saw this immediately in the very first week in Ephesians chapter 6, where the context of those verses about parenting made clear the importance of being filled with the Spirit for all Christians. All of us, for all of us, it is important that we be driven by, directed by, empowered by God at work in us. So that in Ephesians and the next week in Deuteronomy 6, the people of God are called to know and then to love with all of their hearts the one and only God. Here is the Lord our God, He is one, the one and only. Love Him with everything. And then teach your children also. Teach them who, teach them who He is, what He requires, and teach them in the context of what He has done graciously to save. So particularly, we teach God his requirements, and we teach in the context of Christ. And then also last week, we teach, in addition to Christ, we teach wisdom. We looked at this last week. Starting at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we considered what wisdom is and how important it is to us. And therefore, why we need to press it into our kids. Wisdom is the right and proper understanding of life and how to live it. Have to live in this world rightly, properly, according to what usually is. The, the wisdom literature of the book of Proverbs in particular, but it, wisdom literature is found elsewhere in the Bible. Wisdom literature is not law. It is not a statement about what must be or what is 100% of the time always promised from God. It's not that. It instead is explaining what usually is, how, how the prevailing mood, how the wind is blowing, and principles that you must always take into account. Usually it's about what is good insight and what is understanding and, and how it is to be applied. And it all begins with, as we saw, the fear of the Lord. A right view of the high and exalted God. A view of, of this great, high, and holy one. That pressed into our hearts is extremely helpful as we come around to consider whose counsel to heed. There will always be counsel coming at us from God and from all around us, from our own hearts even. As we consider, what, what counsel should I listen to? In what direction should I go? In what paths should I walk? In what goals should I, should I strive for? A, a fear of the Lord directs us towards God and towards His paths and towards His ways which are the right ones. So the Lord must control our hearts. And as we saw last week, that means we should guard our hearts and help our kids to do so also. Guard what comes in and how you process it once it's in there. How you think it through and value it. Part of that is guarding what companions are around us because they're going to be major inputters. So we help, we help guard our kids' companions, their friends, their associates, and help them to think that through also. And then we are very clear about God's gracious forgiveness of us when we fail. Forgiveness that's found only in Christ, the one who is truly wise. 
That's all where we have come from. And as we moved into wisdom, you notice that, that the, the title for today's sermon is the same one as last week, part two. As we're still talking about wisdom, but now we're changing direction a little bit. As I was just saying, all of last week's discussion about wisdom was about kind of the inside. Our hearts, fear of the Lord, guarding what comes in and how we process it and, and experiencing the forgiveness of the Lord. That's all kind of inside. Now we're going to turn, we're still in wisdom, still in Proverbs, but now we're going to turn and sort of look out. How is that expressed? What, what do we live like? How do we live? What do we do with it? So kind of a change in, in perspective there, change in focus. And the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Many, 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 many topics. Many, many, many things. So I admit on the front end, I've had to be a bit selective. I'm choosing a passage from chapter 6 that captures a few of the biggies, all kind of gathered together here in the first 19 verses of chapter 6. But there are other things to consider. There's more, and it would be prudent for you to consider them. But this morning, I'm going to pull out a few things from Proverbs chapter 6, and all kind of pushing towards this one main point. Here, here's my main point for this morning. Teach your children to live wisely in harmony with God's created order. Teach your children to live wisely in harmony with God's created order. So the idea there is that there's a created order from God that's out there and it works a certain way and how do we live in harmony with it? If you will, it's, it's as if there's a grain to the world by God's design and it's aligned with God's grain because he made it, it comes from him. There's a grain to it and just like it's possible to chop wood across the grain, it's a whole lot more work. It would behoove you to figure out where the grain is and to learn how to split it along the grain. So teach your children how to work wisely in harmony with God's created world. That's where we're going. I'm going to make four observations again this morning. Let me read Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, then we'll begin. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. A perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. 
There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. The word of the Lord. Four observations. Here's the first one. Teach your children about money, particularly about the entanglements of borrowing and lending. First point, teach your children about money, particularly about the entanglements of borrowing and lending. Verses 1 through 5 present a, a very specific scenario, one that comes up a couple of times throughout the book of Proverbs. So we are going to talk about that specific one, but it's, it's a specific example from a larger topic that's all over the wisdom literature, the topic of money. Money is a huge component of life and one that we must very carefully and wisely teach our children about. Keep in mind, the da- help them to keep in mind the dangers present with it and, and the possibilities, the opportunities presented in it. Jesus taught about money a lot for some reason because it's really important and it's really dangerous. Why is money dangerous? M- money is dangerous. Remember he sets it opposite God? You cannot serve mammon, wealth, and God. Why is money so dangerous? Why is money set opposite God? Because money, if you think about it, is the greatest opportunity for a second God, for an additional, a different God. Because with money, you can get anything. You can use money, and and people often do. You can use money to secure yourself instead of trusting God. You can use money to to work powerfully in the world instead of trusting God to work powerfully for you. You can use money to buy pleasure instead of rejoicing in and enjoying communion with God. You can use money for anything. And therefore, it is, the, it is kind of the greatest threat presented to us in the world. And at the same time, it's a great tool, a great opportunity, because you can also use money to bless people, to partner with, say, Philippians and Paul to further the kingdom of God. You can use money to make Christ's name known. You can use money to worship. You can use money for all kinds of good things, to alleviate needs. Danger and opportunity. So the Proverbs are going to tell us constantly, this is, this is like a, a, a weapon it's going to be right in the middle of their lives, used for good or for ill. So, so teach them about it. Teach them about money. Not just how to count it, but how to think about it. How to earn it. It is, it is good to gain money, to get money. It is a good thing to acquire it and teach them how to spend it well and teach them how to save it and how to budget it and how to give. Teach them how to invest it. All kinds of practical things that kids don't naturally grow up understanding. You can remember when I was first around a step-parent of mine who, t- who kind of first taught our family about budgeting. And I was a teenager, and I, I thought, people budget? That sounds like slavery. You can't just spend willy-nilly however you want. And then I began to realize, actually, no, it's not like slavery. It's like freedom. 
because I know how much I can spend. And when I budgeted to it and saved it, it's there to spend. What a wonderful thing. I didn't get that. As a teenager, I didn't get it. Nobody taught me. Teach all these very specific, very practical details about money. However, what the passage is really about is a specific aspect of the financial world. Can use it to touch on the larger issue of money, but specifically, there's, there's a scenario in view here. As I said, one that comes up a few times throughout the book. A scenario that contains a warning about the entanglements of borrowing and lending. You can see the particular scenario here, a generic one. You, the assumption is you, my son, you have put up security for your neighbor, verse 1, given your pledge. Later in the book, chapter 20 and chapter 27, it's presented the other way around. The son is the one who, has, who is the lender and has received the pledge, so it's taught both different ways in, in this book. But a pledge, a, a security, is maybe we might in modern language say like a, a co-signer on a loan or something like that. Somebody has said the son in this case, I will, banker, lender, I will give up, I will forfeit if this other person, this stranger, not family, this other person doesn't pay back the loan, I will. I will forfeit this. I will give up this. I make a pledge. I offer up a security for this one's loan. Watch out. Now, as I said, it's taught both different ways throughout the book, but in this case, the problem is in the following words. And look at these words. They are meant to grab you and present a scenario to you. You have just put your life in a stranger's hands. Like a gazelle about to be caught in the hand of a hunter, a bird in the hand of a bird hunter, a fowler. In other words, you are just about to be caught, killed, and eaten. That's trying to present a certain picture. Your life in someone else's hands. Watch out and do everything you can. Don't let sleep come to your eyelids until you get out of that situation. You see the, the, the drive there. Get out of it, get out of it, get out of it. It's danger. There's an entanglement there. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. Chapter 11, verse 15. Very same scenario. Watch out for that. Now, I suspect that for many of us, this sort of scenario, I talk about danger in a, in a lending in a borrowing situation, probably makes a number of us call things to mind. Perhaps Proverbs 22.7 springs to mind, the borrower is a slave to the lender. So we are in the topic of borrowing and lending and entanglement and bondage. But we need to think about this carefully because sometimes some Christians have taken things like this, passages like this, and put a blanket statement over it and said, all borrowing and all lending is wrong. Look, the borrower is slave to the lender. And they've forgotten, this is wisdom literature, it's not law. It's giving you a principle to always take into consideration and be warned about, to think about carefully. 
Not spelling out what you must always do. In this case, he's saying, this is a dangerous situation. Perhaps a friend came along to you and, and you wanted to be a good friend, wanted to make nice with somebody, said, oh, sure, yeah, I'll sign. I mean, great, okay. Careful. That's dangerous. Other borrowing situations, perhaps less so. I am not giving financial advice. I'm not a trained or licensed financial advisor. But my point is, Proverbs is not giving you specific financial advice either. It's giving you general financial wisdom. Some loaning and some borrowing is wise and prudent. And some borrowing and some lending is incredibly foolish. Be aware. Watch out for the entanglements that automatically come with it. When you owe no one anything, you are free. When you owe someone something, you are less so. Be careful. We have to be careful about this because of the entanglements in it and the obligations that arise in it, but also because we, we need to be clear about where this all comes from. I don't think I'm, I'm giving anybody any news when we think about debt and the American lifestyle. Our personal lifestyles, our national lifestyle. We spend, we individually and corporately, spend far more than we bring in. Which is why we have, we, maybe not you, but we have debt. Where does that come from? We have to speak to kids, and probably first to ourselves, we have to speak to kids about the heart that's behind spending and borrowing to get what you can't pay for. You have to speak about the heart behind that. So often, and this is a word to, to us ourselves, but then we have to teach our children also. So often, you, you want something right now, and somebody has offered you an opportunity to get it right now, if you will just, in some way, entangle yourself with them and obligate yourself to them, never in a way that's made to appear like a gazelle falling into the hand of a hunter. But in fact, that may be happening, son. That may be happening, daughter. Watch. What's going on in your heart that you must have this thing right now and can't wait or can't completely do without it? Are you using, are you using money or, worse, someone else's money to buy some security, to buy some pleasure, to buy some comfort for yourself that you yourself can't afford. And the security and the comfort should come from the Lord instead. Is that what's going on? Now, again, I am not saying, and the Bible is not saying that all borrowing and all lending is all automatically always wrong. Sometimes it's very wise. But be aware of the entanglement that always arises when borrowing and lending happens. To teach kids about money, 
and teach kids about particularly the entanglement involved in borrowing and lending. That's the first point. Obviously, in saying that, I didn't, and the Bible didn't tell you whether you should borrow X for Y, because I can't. Be aware of a danger. Think through what's going on in your heart behind the activity. That's the point. Teach them about money. Secondly, teach your children how to work prudently and diligently. Verses 1 through 5 address financial dealings. And then verse 6, interestingly, now sometimes in the book of Proverbs there are not direct conceptual links between sections, but if there's a conceptual link between the first section and the second section, Borrowing and entanglement and debt interestingly leads right next then to work. Broadly speaking, this is the answer to borrowing and entanglement and debt. Work. Teach your children to work prudently and diligently. Consider the ant, O sluggard, verse 6. Sluggard, a word used very often in the Proverbs, used twice here. Consider the ant, how she works, with initiative, verse 7. With personal responsibility, she prepares and gathers. But the longer you lie around napping, O son, you waste time. You're tired, you're tired, you're tired. You're sleeping and you're snoozing, and pretty soon you will be poor and in need because you didn't work diligently, oh sluggard. That's the thrust of those verses. The obvious point we need to stress and pass on is the need to work with diligence. Don't be driven, don't wait to be driven by someone, but rise up and work so as to remain prosperous and free and not under bondage and in need. This is everywhere in Proverbs, often in very colorful language. We get pictures throughout the book of Proverbs of the sluggard who is, who is so lazy that he starves to death because he put his hand into the food bowl and didn't manage to get it back out again to put the food in his mouth. So lazy. Or who, who refuses to work. He's got so many great excuses. There's a lion in the street. I will be killed if I go out. I better play it safe and stay home again today. All kinds of colorful language throughout the book of Proverbs, poking fun at, criticizing, chastising the sluggard, the sluggard, the lazy, the the one who doesn't work. And over and over again, how long will you lie there not doing anything? Consider the ant and be wise. So we teach our children to work. Teach the connection that Paul taught in 2 Thessalonians 3. At the very end of 2 Thessalonians 3, he makes this point, the one who does not work will not eat. So teach everyone in the church to do his own work and provide for his own needs. Now that, that is not undermining or countermanding the, the desire, the command really, for all of us to help one another. It's just saying, work and eat. Just like Proverbs. So in a way... What we're saying is we need to teach work ethic. 
and create in word and modeled in our lives and perhaps even in artificially created environments, teach this connection of working and eating and teach our children to rise up and labor. Teach work ethic. But there's a little more to that than that. Again, we have to think about how life flows out of the heart to address the inside before the outside. If we want to teach work ethic that is prudent and diligent, we need to think about how do I shape a heart that is prudent and diligent? How do I shape a heart like that? Well, consider the ant. When does the ant delight with her work? When is the ant delighted in, pleased with, happy with, contented with, rejoicing over her work? All summer long? All during the harvest time? I mean, look, look at the ant. Just watch an ant as she walks back and forth carrying that massive grain of wheat that's bigger than her whole body. Top of her head. Walking back and forth. Time and time and time and time again. Into the mound, down below ground, back up to get another one. Over the, the Himalayan-sized furrows in the field, down through the valley, up the mountain, down the valley as the sun beats down and all the other insects are going to swim at the puddle and sunbathe on the, on the leaf over here. And she's back and forth, back and forth. Do you think she's enjoying her work right now? When does the ant enjoy her work. In the middle of January, when beneath ground, beneath a foot of snow, she's still eating. There's a praying mantis skeleton, you know, dead on a rock in my yard. And the ant beneath ground is still eating. Now, I don't know that to be true, of course, but it's an illustration. It's an illustration in chapter 6, too. Look at the ant. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, working, working, working. She only enjoys that later. Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Well, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Being richly supplied is a good thing. It's a desirable thing. Now, the Proverbs, and right now, I'm not talking about the evils of materialism. That's another issue. In this context, being richly supplied is the desirable thing. Having much is the goal. And that comes from the diligent hand. The sluggard wishes he had it, but doesn't. Being richly supplied is pleasurable. Having plenty to eat in the winter is pleasurable. And then you help shape this heart that's diligent and prudent by drawing the connection. Pleasure follows eating, not starvation. Pleasure follows eating. Eating follows harvesting. Harvesting follows sowing. To change the analogy slightly, ants don't sow. 
You walk the chain back and you say, we live in a world that God has made and we reap what we sow. You talk about fear and poverty and bondage and death and part of the appeal to the heart is to be far above and far beyond just the negative death and poverty and fear and want and lack and to push on to the pleasure and say abundant riches, anything you want and anything you need in your hands delivered to you after Pleasure follows eating, follows harvesting, follows sowing. So my son, sow and harvest. What you're doing there is you're shaping the heart to say, it is right and good to desire and you will get it after the work. And every pleasure that is lasting and deep, every good, long, and important pleasure is reaped after the hard work of sowing has been carried out. We are definitely about pleasure and reward and fullness and contentedness. And that comes after the work. Always. Now sure, the ant probably sees the grasshopper sunning on the leaf. And sees the skeleton dead in the yard. There is always in the world offered short-term pleasure, short-term pleasure, short-term pleasure. And my son, get this, we are way about pleasure and we are way about satisfaction and way about riches being gathered into our hand. And the diligent one is the one who gathers and enjoys lasting and long-term. You're shaping the heart that then produces diligent hands. I think, probably, since we don't live on farms, we probably have to get creative about ways to make this tangible for children because there isn't this natural laboring environment all around them. I find in my life that things like school and sports are the best. Your life may be something different but to create environments where you, sh- where you can see, where you can talk about and model, and then they can a- be made to experience deferred gratification is indeed gratification, and it is long and lasting and delightful. I have to work now for my joy That's the connection that has to be made. This joy is temporary, passing, light, even delusional. Deferring it will make it full. That has to be pressed into not just work, but here's why. We're after the heart, trying to shape the heart. That has to be pressed into. Again, I find sports is is the best for that. Because nobody just becomes, just wakes up one morning, a good athlete. Natural abilities are born, sure. But they have to be honed. You watch some successful athlete. There's There's a connection here, from here to here. Works for musicians, works for students. There's a connection. 
Hard work pays off. Show them that. Create environments to show them that. This is true for both boys and girls, but I think it is particularly true for boys. I don't have any uh, boys. I don't have any, I have girls only that I'm a a father to, but I have read and heard this enough times about boys that I believe it. There's something different about boys given sin tendencies in boys and girls and given what God has called boys to be. He has called boys to be men. And men bear, carry a primary responsibility to lead and to provide for, not just themselves, but for others. And if you look back at the Garden of Eden, you can see sin tendencies in men, and you can even read something in the curse in Genesis, 2, Genesis 3. Sin, sin tendency in man is to lie back and let the woman engage with Satan all by herself, while I lazily don't. And then in the curse, work was made hard for me. Cursed is the ground because of you. Only by the sweat of your brow will you pull out of it your food. It seems like boys have a natural tendency to lie back. And the place that they must not lie back has been made harder because of sin. So I don't say this from personal experience, but I have, I have read and talked with a number of people that say, As boys grow into manhood, dads in particular need to pull them through and press into them the idea of deferred gratification. Because there is so much. Immature people always live in the here and now. And there's so much in boys that lives in the here and now. And they must be called into a, a work and provision mindset. And the really unfortunate thing is oftentimes, right at the time when kids hit those teenage years, they get difficult and dad goes and plays golf. Because dad himself doesn't believe in deferred gratification. That's the really unfortunate part. The time when teenagers, girls and boys, but especially boys, need dads in particular to say, I will set aside my pleasure for the time when I will, I hope, I, I believe, one day get a son who is a godly man. I, I want to enjoy that time, and so right now I need to engage with, and instead, Dad vacates. Don't, don't do that. All of our kids, we need to teach all of our kids, and especially our boys, to work diligently, prudently, Believing in faith that God's pleasure and God's provision can and will be met on the other side of hard work. Consider the end. Thirdly, teach your children to speak truthfully, humbly, and with restraint. Teach your children to speak truthfully, humbly, and with restraint. And with those qualifiers of truthful, humble, restraint, I'm going to be brushing alongside of a whole bunch of other topics, but I'm going to try to address them only in passing in the, sub, in the, the context of speech because that's the, the kind of the overriding context of verses 12 and following. 
keeps coming back to speech in those verses. Verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Deceptive double talk. That deception, that, that dishonesty touched on again in verse 13. He winks and signals and points, not just being innocent winking and innocent pointing of the finger, but in some, in some way in that culture that was kind of devious and deceitful, maybe even suggestive. It's another way of, of deceiving. Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination, pride, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, evil shedding of blood, false witness that lies and sows discord. He keeps coming back to similar themes here about discord and deception. Sowing discord with your lips and deceiving. So the warnings are clear. And incidentally, those sorts of warnings are repeated often in Proverbs in very similar contexts. Here in chapter 6, we have two subjects that are back-to-back, work and speech, that are very often paired throughout Proverbs. A number of different places you can find verses or larger sections that are about work and speech stuck together because these are very large areas of life. What you do in work and how you present yourself, how you engage with others, huge areas in life. They're often stuck together. You could look, for instance, at at uh, chapter 10, chapter 10 there, verse 4, already mentioned that one before. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. And then the very next verse, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Speech, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble. There's winking again. But a babbling fool will come to ruin still. Verse 14, the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Finally, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I just kind of skipped through those verses, read a few of them from chapter 10. And we could have looked at a bunch of other places, chapters 12, 13, 15, 18, 20, 21, all pair working and speaking together in one way or another. Consistent themes. How you speak and express yourself proudly, deceptively, hurtfully, sowing discord, babbling and talking. Watch out. It produces trouble for you and is displeasing to the Lord. On the other hand, honesty and truth and healing and love and patient restraint is wise and helpful and pleasing. Opposite of babbling, restraint of words. With many words, there's trouble, but with a few, you create room. You create room to listen and to receive more information 
to actually care for other people. The, the, the babbler, the person who talks, 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 says that what's on my mind is what you should listen to. There's an inherent pride in that. And the one who, who instead sits and receives says, I care about what's on your mind. Speak. And I need to learn. I need to gather information. Speak. And maybe I don't know the whole story. I will listen. And you speak. There's great wisdom in restraint. But not always in not saying anything because, in fact, the tongue is useful. We should teach kids to speak humbly and wisely, to use truth in love, to pour out healing and help and life. I one time took a few months to go through the book of Proverbs and write down everything that was about speaking, about the tongue, about the mouth, about the lips. There are sheets of verses. Every one of them, you would say, oh, sure, yeah. Kind of maybe like you're responding to what I'm saying right now. Yeah, sure, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. The, the trick for us and for kids is not to just repeat things that are obviously true. But to stop and consider them and then to, to watch. To watch what comes out. Every Christian I know has heard the proverb, you paraphrase it, that every person seems right until the other side presents his case. That nude anybody? That's in the Proverbs. Three times this last week, I was around Christians who seemed to not know that one. Just knowing it does not avail. To, to watch ourselves and, and to help instill in our kids a watching of what do I say? Is that a word that's honest, that is spoken in love, that seeks to understand, that listens before it speaks, that seeks to pour out healing? With the tongue, you have a powerful tool for good or for evil. It's like the little rudder on a ship, says James. It steers it one way or the other. Careful, son, with how you speak. You should speak, but you should speak truthfully. You should speak wisely and carefully and with restraint and humility. And fourthly, teach your children to live with proper long-term perspective. Teach your children to live with proper, long-term perspective. We live in a here-and-now world that's all around us says that what's here and now is all that is and all that's worth it. And it constantly invites us to live for right now. Every parent has in the midst of some mess of consequences, asked a child, what were you thinking? And of course the answer is, I wasn't. But really, the answer is, 
I was only thinking about what felt good right now, and I did not think about what comes next. That's how immaturity works in us or in youth. So to teach, we've already talked about this a number of times, to teach something about perspective, to teach about deferred enjoyment is very important, but there is more to say about proper long-term perspective than just things related to work and speech. Verse 14 talks about perverted heart devises evil. Verse 18 mentions a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that run to evil. Those are moral words. Not just words about profitable stuff. Useful things. Solomon is saying more than, Son, here are some unhelpful procedures. Here are some helpful ways of going about things. He's saying, son, here are some morally wrong things. Verse 16, things the Lord hates and finds abominable. The Lord is and the Lord judges such things. That's an extremely important piece of proper long-term perspective. More than just proving problematic in this life, more than them making a path harder for you than it needs to be, more than just trying to cut across the grain, you're dealing in areas of, of morality, of righteousness, of justice, and the Lord has an opinion that is definitive. All wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. So we have to, in every context, present to kids and think ourselves, this is a life that is going somewhere. Always. You will not be young and carefree forever. Winter will come and you will need to eat, so work now. And what is said in secret will be shouted from the rooftops and known to all, so speak truthfully and carefully now. And your young, invincible body will sag and break, so be humble now. And you will stand and give an account for everything done in the body, whether it be good or bad. So pursue wisely righteousness and justice and equity now. Pursue Christ now, who is your wisdom the Lord is to be feared and revered and honored above all things carefully in light of the fact that he does approve and disapprove of this and that. And it is of great importance that I walk in his ways. Proper long-term perspective. That's only half the picture, though. Because what is of greater long-term proper perspective for the Christian this is more important to consider and more important that we lift up our children's eyes to consider is that this life lived now, if Paul said to live is Christ, he also said to die is gain and both of those things are true. 
It is not only that there is a time coming. Son, look down and see with proper perspective. See that there is a time coming when you will stand in judgment. Son, also look and see that there is a time coming when it will all be worth it. This that you face right now, and you bring up perhaps explicitly 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the very end of the chapter, this that you face right now is a light and momentary trouble. It is a light and momentary affliction. It is suffering indeed. It is hard, yes, light and momentary, and it is achieving for you. Not just, it will also come about, this is gaining that. It is achieving for you an eternal weight of glory that far outshines all of this. Proper perspective, long-term, my son, see this. Indeed, there is a time of judgment coming, and indeed, there is a time of reward coming. And every moment, my son, that you walk the path of righteousness in the fear of the Lord right now, piles up for you gain, then. See it. You must see it. Believe this light and momentary trouble right now is passing. It is light compared to what is coming. It is going away and is fleeting compared to how long you will enjoy what is coming. So don't set your eyes on this bauble offered to you now or this threat held up in front of you now. You can see it. Yeah, it has appeal. Yeah, it has, it has fear in it. Yeah, it's passing. Parents, you must press that into your kids and you stand zero chance of them believing it if you don't believe it. Because they'll see right through you. My son, look at the reward. I don't believe that. I'm living for right now. But you should live for the reward. Goes boom. But is that how you're living? Don't set your eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because this is passing away, but what is unseen is eternal. And that all invites you. It advises you, but it invites you to walk the path of wisdom in the fear of the Lord for your great good. You must have proper, long-term perspective if, if there's any hope of you speaking properly and working diligently and dealing with money wisely. Which brings us all back around to the very beginning. We could start and end the series on parenting by saying, be filled with the Spirit. That God himself would grip you, mom and dad, would grip you, grandparents, so that you actually see and believe and walk around in your house and, and live in your relationships with your kids, seeing and believing, so that they believe that you see and believe. That you are a person in touch with another world, not gripped and held by this one. To live as Christ, to die as gain, do you believe that? Everything that we have here is rubbish compared to knowing him. Do you believe that? This fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me pray.
Father, help me because I know that I believe it and don't believe it. Help my unbelief. God, we struggle. In moments, we see it crystal clear. And then in other moments, it's cloudy and we wonder if we ever saw it. So Lord, help your people to moment by moment today live with proper long-term perspective in the fear of the Lord. Knowing that we, Paul talked about Christians, we will face a judgment for the deeds in the body, whether good or bad. But also knowing that Paul promised to us these troubles now that we endure in faith, walking with you, pile up for us eternal reward. Give your people grace, eyes to see, faith to believe. And give us wisdom and skill with our hands to shepherd the kids that you've put in our houses, those of us who are parents. To shepherd the kids that you've put in our extended families, those of us who are grandparents. To shepherd the kids that you've put around us in our church family, those of us who are part of this church. Remarkably, you include us in the process of building the next generation. Thank you for that privilege and give us spirit power to do it. Would you honor your name in us, those of us who are parents, in our parenting? Would you raise up the next generation to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Thank you, Lord, for loving us and drawing near to us. And I pray, build your church. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.